Hey, Miles, what you reading? Hey, Rachel. Uh, Wolverine and the X-Men number six, the new volume. So what's the deal with Quentin Quire? He's been front and center for the last couple of years, and I totally did not see that coming. I know, right? Who'd have thought that the nebbish jerklet of Grant Morrison's early aughts run would grow up into a delightful asshole with the best fashion sense in the X-universe? Aw, you're just saying that because he dresses like you. Duh. Well, anyway, didn't he die in the Morrison run? Nah, he just went incorporeal for a while. Plus, I mean, this is X-Men, and he is a Phoenix host. Dying is relative. Right, right. So so what's up with the Phoenix stuff? It's all wrapped up in time travel and dark futures and Battle of the Atomness. They've been teasing him as a future Phoenix host since New X-Men 154, but I wouldn't get too deep into Quentin Quire Destiny. This is the kid the Siege Perilous straight up spit out. Phoenix or no, he's kind of a wild card. Wait, but when the Phoenix Force was approaching Earth in Avengers vs. X-Men, he was one of the previous Phoenix hosts affected. So is the Phoenix unstuck in time, or is he just that much of a wrench in the gears of fate? I mean, he might be either of those things, but in that particular case, it's actually pretty simple. He'd already been a Phoenix host, at least a partial one, briefly. That's how he got reconstituted. So how'd that work out? Oh, it didn't. He got a hold of a fraction of the Phoenix Force, and in a moment of borderline necrophilia, used it to reanimate Sophie Cuckoo so he could declare his love, at which point she rejected him, and the Phoenix Force decided he was still a little too creepy and left. What?! Rachel Edden and I'm Miles Stokes and we are here to explain the X-Men because it's about time someone did welcome to the 16th episode of Rachel and Miles explain the X-Men where we walk you through the ins outs and retcons of our favorite superhero soap opera so we launched our Patreon campaign like what a week ago Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and holy crap, thank you all so much. Uh, we, we say we can't do this without your support, and you've been awesome about supporting us. We really appreciate it. And as a result of that, you're going to be seeing a ton of new features at rachelandmiles.com starting at the beginning of August. We're going to have weekly video reviews of current X-books, which I'm kind of terrified about. Um <laughs> We're going to have twice-weekly written posts. Some of those are going to be from us. Some of them are going to be from other folks we know, from people involved in the X-Universe, from scholars, from critics. Man, I am so excited because this is giving me the chance to commission some really amazing work from some of my favorite critics and writers. And I'm really excited about the monthly official podcast art we're going to have. A lot of that's going to be from David Wynn, if not all of it, and it's going to be glorious. Apparently, we are also now engaged in a kind of massive custody battle over David Wynn with uh, MomCast, which is a, a British comics podcast, which is fantastic by the way, and you should listen to it. We overlap a little bit, but they usually look at a couple issues in a lot of, of depth every week. And David is a good friend of theirs and has done art for them. And, and, and they have officially declared war on us. So we'll see how that works out. So now we need to like take David to a bunch of amusement parks and like buy him a new puppy and sort of win his love over theirs. Oh, win his love? Win his love. Yeah, that, that was terrible. I think they just got points for that. No, I, what I was going to say is I, I assume that this ends with some kind of standoff on the moon. That's how I want to go down eventually. Uh, killed by an ancient Kree weapon to, to save the people I love. We're also going to have twice a year, giant-sized, semi-annual episodes. We don't know what those are going to be yet, but we promise they're going to be amazing. Are they just going to be two hours of me crying? That would certainly be amazing in one sense. I don't, I don't want to be in videos. So right I'm just now, wear sunglasses in all of the videos. <laughs> or that Cyclops visor. Yeah, I'm never taking this thing off. So it's San Diego Comic-Con right now, and a lot of the people we know are there checking out, you know, the very, very long lines and celebrities they can get a glimpse of. And we are not at San Diego Comic-Con, and we're going to pretend that the reason we're not at San Diego Comic-Con is that we are just that dedicated to getting this podcast out. But we did have some uh, San Diego-esque stuff going on. We just went to a superhero-themed party last night, and uh, Rachel, as you may have seen on our Tumblr, was Kid Cyclops from the Cyclops ongoing series right now space pirate in a polo shirt oh she was so wonderfully dorky and awkward it was it was glorious i god i spent a really kind of embarrassingly long time in front of the mirror practicing 
awkward teenager facial expressions, which apparently are just what my face does. So that actually worked out really well. But my friend Benja, who is this amazing costumer and fabricator, actually made me a replica of the version of the visor in the Cyclops ongoing series, which Miles, you're just going to have to get used to because it's I'm, I'm I'm still wearing it at this point and I'm, I'm just really never planning to take it off. I, I can live without peripheral vision if it, if it means getting to wear this thing. It's that cool. I was uh, I was betraying my Marvel loyalty and being a DC character called Starman, but I, I feel OK about that, too. You're one of two Starmans. Very obscure 90s character. Two of them there. It's true. You guys should have made out. I guess. It could have created some kind of massive, like, crossover space-time continuity crisis. We've been reading too much X-Men. But anyway. Speaking of San Diego Comic-Con, if you've been following the news, you may have noticed a startling omission. There is no X-Men panel at San Diego Comic-Con this year. That's shameful. Right. So in the name of public service, we're going to do our best to fill that gap with a comprehensive look at the current state of the X-Men universe. And some wild speculation about where it may be headed. So for the full convention experience, um, we recommend pausing the episode now and then spending the next few hours standing still, imagining that you're in a crowded line surrounded by people willing to trample each other to death for free bags and photos with Clark Gregg. Incidentally, we'll be looking at current comics and storylines. So if you're not caught up and you're concerned about spoilers, you might want to sit this one out. So without further ado, the official, unofficial, not at Comic-Con X-Universe panel. This is going to be an overview. We're going to be talking mostly about big events. The idea is to give you a pretty thorough primer of where things currently stand in X-Men and related titles and that general corner of the Marvel Universe at the moment. This is stuff we're still planning on covering like a million years from now or whenever we actually get to it in much greater depth. Our goal here is just to make it so you can jump into current X-Men continuity and not be completely lost. So, uh, there have been a bunch of big storylines going back for like the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Yeah, there's been a lot of long game continuity, but a lot of what's going on right now ties back to a very specific 2012 crossover called Avengers vs. X-Men. There's something that comes just before that that lays the groundwork that we should probably at least touch on, and that is Schism. So, Schism was one of the big, nothing will ever be the same storylines in X-Men, and um, thus far, that's kind of been the case. At the point of schism, uh, the X-Men were, they were kind of riding high. I mean, the X-Men were all on the same page philosophically with one another. They were, however, in really dire straits practically. Something that had happened back in about 2005 was this thing called House of M. And uh, it's not super important to go into what happened in House of M as much as what came out of it, which is that Scarlet Witch said no more mutants and used her powers to essentially remove the powers of more than 90% of the mutants on Earth. This event is referred to as decimation, despite the fact that statistically it's the precise opposite. And that actually comes up uh, in an issue of X Factor because Peter David is amazing. But yeah, this is also called M Day. So if you hear people talk about M Day, it's that right there. Now, at this point, the Xavier School had been once again thoroughly obliterated, just, you know, turned into flinders and dust, and the X-Men had moved to San Francisco, California. This led to some really, really, really fantastic hippie hijinks. We'll post pictures, great outfits. But actually from there, during Dark Reign, which was a period where Norman Osborn had taken over the United States and all of the villains had basically taken over the hero teams. Uh, Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin, if you're not familiar. During Dark Reign, they moved from San Francisco to what they then declared to be the sovereign nation of Utopia, which is actually Asteroid M, Magneto's satellite base, raised up from where it had been submerged at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, and Cyclops was sort of becoming a little bit more hardline in this era just uh, a little bit more of a mutant separatist. So this fit pretty well. Not even so much a separatist as just increasingly convinced 
that national governments and primarily human-dominated governments weren't going to look out for the interests of mutants. Man, one of those written posts that I'm going to write that I'm really excited about is basically how mutant theory parallels the evolution of radical disability theory and the, the medical versus social models of disability informs mutant politics. And there's there's actually a slogan that goes into that, which is nothing about us without us, that you then see really reflected strongly in mutant politics around this era. And that's one thing I think we should really bring up is that uh, where we are in current continuity, what we've been reviewing with all the Claremont stuff, the mutant metaphor sort of comes and goes. It's really become much, much stronger in modern continuity. But what it means has really changed. And again, we'll look more at that later. Right now, continuity, continuity, continuity. So anyway, schism. So schism was, again, one of those big events. And uh, like there was a pre to schism a miniseries there was the schism miniseries itself there was a schism aftermath one shot um but essentially what happened is that wolverine and cyclops finally hit a wall with their own philosophical differences between one another i dislike schism i think it's incredibly contrived but the results are interesting they basically break up cyclops stays on utopia as the de facto leader of the official x-men and the mutant community wolverine storms off to westchester yeah and he starts the gene gray school in the ashes of the uh, xavier institute and he becomes the headmaster of it, which I don't think anybody saw coming. But you know, the years and years of comics that lead up to this split, that lead to Cyclops doing the one thing and Wolverine doing the other, I think it's totally earned. And what this is setting up, at least roughly, that they keep going back to is Wolverine and Cyclops respectively taking on the Xavier and Magneto roles. Although, again, it's a little more complicated than that. So then that's the status quo in 2012 when we launch into Avengers versus X-Men. Now, Avengers versus X-Men, a lot of important stuff comes out of it, but I think it's also important to acknowledge it was a big, dumb, punchy, punchy summer crossover. Man, so I have such mixed feelings about Avengers versus X-Men because I dislike the story as a whole. I don't think it's that good. But there are a lot of moments in it that I absolutely love. You know, I I bitch a lot about company-mandated crossover events, and this is everything that sucks about those. But that kind of took the edge off because there are some beautiful moments and perfect lines, you know, stuff that just really nails everything I want. So Avengers vs. X-Men, it was a miniseries that was going on, but all the X-Men and Avengers books at the time were also dealing with what was going on in whatever chapter of Avengers vs. X-Men had come out in that two-week period. And a lot of the really good stuff was in the individual books. So like Kieran Gillen's Uncanny X-Men at the time was glorious. Actual Avengers vs. X-Men is organized around two main MacGuffins, the Phoenix Force, which you already know all about, and Hope Summers. Let's talk a little bit about Hope. Hope Summers had been around for a while. She first showed up after the decimation. That was where all the mutants got depowered. She was the first new mutant birth, and nobody thought that was possible at this point, so this was a big deal. This got the attention of pretty much every mutant group and pretty much every anti-mutant group currently active. The end result is that Bishop decided to come and try to kill her. Bishop is the time-unstuck time cop from the Forever Yesterday universe. Cable took her into the far future and raised her in the post-apocalyptic Ascani future. So we basically have these two dueling time travelers going throughout time, each trying to ensure that the future they want shows up and their own dark future is canceled. And they disagree about what the best method of doing that is, obviously. Finally, they come back to the main Marvel universe, to 616. And that's in the second coming crossover. This has been collected in a trade, and it's a really good story. It's one that I highly recommend for a fairly good window into the X-Universe at that point. So Hope is a mutant. Her power is, and she can duplicate other mutants' powers if she's in proximity. But she's also got some kind of connection to the Phoenix Force. Of course she does. She's a mysterious, mysterious redhead with a relation to the Summers family tree. And so, yeah, as we'll see with Madeline Pryor coming up, with Jean Grey's Resurrection, with Rachel Summers, as we'll see in future episodes, like, you cannot avoid the Phoenix Force if you can check off all those boxes. I think she was being played up at first as potentially some kind of resurrection of Jean Grey. As far as I can tell, they decided not to take that route. And that's actually something we should also mentioned. Jean Grey, she died in the Dark Phoenix Saga. She later came back. At this point, she is dead again and has been dead for quite a few years. 
At this point, the Phoenix Force is headed to Earth. This shows up on X-Men's various scanning stuff. It shows up on the Avengers scanning stuff and they react very differently. The Avengers remember Dark Phoenix Saga and they freak the fuck out. The X-Men remember that the last like three Phoenix hosts really had their shit together and didn't commit genocide and it was pretty much fine and also that the Phoenix is a pro-mutant force for change and they're pretty excited. Right, and so we have this uh, confrontation on the beach with Cyclops and Captain America, each for the purposes of the punchy punchy summer event, being way more aggressive than they would normally be and the Avengers saying hey, we need to take Hope into custody and the X-Men saying hell no you will not take Hope into custody So after this, the Avengers decide that the thing to do is to try to intercept the Phoenix Force on the moon because that always goes really well. And I love this part because Iron Man actually builds Phoenix Buster armor to fight it. Okay, how the hell does that work? It doesn't. It's like there's there's a big cosmic firebird that represents all of creation and destruction on a purely conceptual level. I'm going to build a robot suit and I'm going to punch it. I like that Iron Man's basic inventor ethos pretty much seems to be 90s kid cartoon where it's like how many extra suits and accessories can be sold separately. World Hunger. Yeah, I'm going to build a robot suit for that one. Hunger Buster armor? Bigotry. Racism Buster armor? I... Actually, I'm pretty sure that was a storyline at one point. This is the Iron Man has a bad idea stage of the crossover, where he also builds an anti-Phoenix gun, which will theoretically destroy or weaken. Well, he's he's not actually sure what it's going to do. It's going to fuck up the Phoenix Force somehow. He uses this on the moon because, again, good choices, Iron Man. And what it actually does is split the Phoenix Force into five fragments, which promptly inhabit the five mutants present. And those at the time are Cyclops, Emma Frost, also known as the White Queen, Ileana Rasputin, also known as Magic, Colossus, and Namor the Submariner. And because we're kind of juvenile, we'd like to point out once again that if you look at the first initials of all of their first names, that does in fact spell out penis. So Phoenix 5, Penis 5, the choice is yours, but I think you know the right answer. This does not go super well. As we've seen before, who's hosting the Phoenix pretty well determines whether it's going to work. And, you know, we've got Hope, who's obviously the destined Phoenix host. We've got a couple other successful former Phoenix hosts on Earth. These guys are basically just the X-Men heavy hitters. They're the ones who are the most powerful and who are in a position to go toe-to-toe with the Avengers, which is why they happen to be on the moon. They start out using their powers for a lot of good, making a lot of really positive changes on Earth, and they gradually, one by one, start to lose it. As each one is defeated by the sort of Avengers resistance that Wolverine's also working with, the Phoenix power that was in that person goes into the remaining four, and then three, and then two, and eventually it's just Cyclops with all of the power of the Phoenix Force inside him. And he's squaring off against the Avengers, most of the X-Men, and Professor Xavier. They have him on the ropes, and what happens when you knock the Phoenix down to a certain point happens, which is that he goes Dark Phoenix and kills Charles Xavier. We make a lot of jokes about how Professor Xavier fakes his own death or dies a lot. This was a little bit more thorough than him dying at the end of one issue, and it turns out he's fine at the beginning of the next one. At this point, we've actually seen that he is in the afterlife. Like, he is actually dead, at least for the time being. And Cyclops killed him, and that got interesting. From there, Cyclops is subdued, and the Scarlet Witch, who, as you will recall, was the one that made M-Day happen in the first place, and Hope, work together to basically disperse the Phoenix Force all over the planet Earth. Which restarts mutant births. So that brings us to the current status quo of the X-Universe. Now, the Cyclops and Wolverine split from Schism, that's still a big deal. That's still very much going on. After, they did briefly team up to fight some Sentinels, though, and it was brotastic, and I loved it. It totally was. Cyclops, after going Dark Phoenix, becoming the biggest supervillain in the world for about five minutes and killing Professor Xavier, he's a fugitive from the law. He's an escaped prisoner, and he's leading a revolutionary, like, sort of underground squad that he's calling the X-Men. They're based in an old Weapon X bunker, and S.H.I.E.L.D. has been snapping up 
new mutants as they manifest and basically arresting them on site. And there's been a lot of anti-mutant violence and they've been trying to preempt that. And then on the other side, we have Wolverine still running the Jean Grey school and being on a billion teams and a billion books on top of that. So these are the two big sides that are going on as we come out of Avengers versus X-Men. I want to talk for a second about Wolverine leading the Jean Grey school. We didn't really touch on that when we were talking about AVX and all that fun stuff, but there was a title that was going on for a while called Wolverine and the X-Men that was based around the Jean Grey school. It was and is fantastic. That is the teenager hijinks book of the X universe. Yeah, and you wouldn't expect that with a book called Wolverine and the X-Men, that it's like this goofy as shit, over-the-top, wacky school drama comedy. Quentin Quire, a really friendly, studious alien kid, and a bunch of other arbitrary mutant children having ridiculous adventures. It's so lovely. We've talked about your recommending jumping on points. Start at the beginning of the Jason Aaron run of this. You will not regret it. It's fantastic. This was the status quo for about five minutes before the next big event happened, which coincided with the X-Men's 50th anniversary. Now, I do want to point out, we're talking a lot about these big crossover event things in terms of where big stuff happens, but I think it's important to remember that just the day-to-day issues that come between these events, that's really the the bulk, that's really the meat of X-Men or of really any comic. If you just look at the crossovers, you're not going to see the sort of the nuance and quieter periods that I think make X-Men work so well. The thing is, though, right now, there are so many crossovers. Like, even the quiet moments feel almost stolen because there's just event after event after event and I am so tired of events. It's changing right now just because the central X books are so universally solid but my favorite titles during a lot of this era have been ones that basically exist independent of this stuff like X Club by Cy Spurrier which is a five issue miniseries. Peter David's X Factor uh, during this period was awesome. It just sort of did its own thing and it was super super solid. Right now solo titles like Cyclops which is third issue is about to come out it's one of my favorite current books Storm which oh my god just started last week and is spectacular. So anyway, back into the status quo, though. Speaking of crossover events, we're about to dive into another one. So yeah, this Battle is of the Atom. Battle of the Atom. And we're going to skim over a lot of this stuff just because a lot of it's not really going to be relevant to where we are right now. We've said that like three times so far. <laughs> but effectively, Beast is seeing what Cyclops is doing. He's worried he's, that some, he's going to do something really dumb and screw up mutant-human relations forever. So he decides, of course, to go back in time, take the original five X-Men from the 1960s, or whatever era that's considered to have been now, and bring them to the present. I'd like to take a moment, and we should go into this more in another episode, that I'm pretty sure literally the only reason Beast isn't currently classified as a supervillain is that he's still affiliated with the X-Men, because he's been doing some majorly supervillain shit. He's all, but he's just so charming about it, you know? Well, he has his moments. He's blue, and he's fuzzy, and he's friendly, and he's smart, and he's Kelsey Grammer in the movies. He's great. The Kelsey Grammer thing really isn't isn't a vote in his favor. Eh, well, regardless. A team of X-Men from the future um, come back in time and say, hey, Beast, in doing this thing, you are totally borking the timeline forever, so freaking send them back. Except it turns out that that team, major spoiler are supervillains. They're really the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and we, we won't really go over the lineup right now. It ends up that the actual X-Men from this timeline come back, and there's this big war, and everybody keeps choosing sides and changing sides, and effectively what we find is that there are now a team of brother of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from the future running around the present trying to screw everything up. And they're going back and forth between the future and the present, basically in the present when they're defeated, leaving themselves notes so that they can go back to the future and try again. So that's probably going to keep playing out for a while. Yeah, and we also find that the original five X-Men from the past, uh, they've become so screwed up in the time stream, they actually cannot go back. So what's going on with the time stream because of that? We have no idea. I suspect. We presume that we'll, be exi- that we'll be seeing more of the ramifications of this for the next in the next year or so, but let's look at where we are right now. 
we've been talking about a bunch of specific characters in the podcast thus far. Let's talk a little bit about where each one is now. So we'll start with Professor Xavier. He is currently dead. He was killed by Dark Phoenix Cyclops in Avengers versus X-Men. As far as we know, there are no current plans to bring him back, at least not in the immediate future. Yeah. And then we have Jean Grey. Now, um, the, the main Jean Grey is dead. She's been dead for more than a decade real time at this point. But the time unstuck teenage version of her, she's running around with Cyclops's sort of underground X-Men. And this is modified somewhat from where she would have been in the original comics. Her telepathic powers have awoken much earlier as a result of the being yanked forward in time. She's developed some new powers as a result of their recent space adventures. And she's also seen an older version of herself, not main Jean Grey, but the time-displaced Jean Grey, who was running around with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, so she's got some thinking to do. So that last thing you just said, I think, typifies exactly why we're doing this podcast, because what the hell, X-Men? There's actually a moment in a fight where they pause to talk about how ridiculous that is. (laughs) So, okay, who else? Uh, Cyclops. The main version of Cyclops is a fugitive. He's running the underground X-Men from an old weapon X-Bunker. The time-unstuck teenage version of Cyclops is having space pirate adventures with Corsair in a solo series written by Greg Rucka, drawn by Russell Dodderman. It is delightful, and you should be reading it. So uh, then we have Angel. So the main version, he's still around, but he's been essentially mind-wiped after this big Dark Angel saga thing that was kind of kind of crazy. And speaking of places to drop in, Rick Remender's run on X-Force from a couple years ago is stellar. It's very, very heavily grounded in earlier continuity, especially the old X-Factor series and the era in which Angel was one of the Horsemen of Apocalypse. But if you can get past that, I highly, highly recommend it. And then we also have uh, Iceman and Beast. Uh, their main versions are both at the Jean Grey School working with Wolverine. Their Time Unstuck versions, uh, in addition to Angels, are still with older Cyclops. We've also seen future versions of both of them. Beast comes pretty severely unhinged and also has big, cool-looking horns, and Iceman is a freaking ice wizard. He's got an ice beard and everything, and an ice staff, and ice robes. And the ladies love the beard. Future Iceman is just the best. Let's see, Nightcrawler died in the Second Coming crossover, but he is now back from the dead, possibly without a soul. He's currently running with the Jean Grey School X-Men and also headlining his own solo series, which is written by Chris Claremont. And then we have Storm. Um, she's basically running the Jean Grey School uh, side by side with Wolverine, and she just started headlining finally her own solo ongoing series. I want to take a second to talk about this because speaking of good places to jump on, the first issue of Storm came out this week. It's written by Greg Pak. I didn't really know what to expect from it. I really like Pack. I really like Storm. It is everything I want from a solo Storm book. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get Greg on sometime in August to come talk about this because I guess all of our guests forever are going to be named Greg. But um, <laughs> if you are a Storm fan, you should pick it up. It is so, so good. I can't, I'm blanking on the name of the artist, but the art is great too. Uh, let's see. Emma Frost is running with Cyclops' X-Men and wearing black. Shadowcat, she was uh, one of the headmistresses of the Jean Grey school. Uh, she defected after Battle of the Atom, and she's now working at Cyclops' school as Professor K, which I think is awesome. Also possibly making out with Star-Lord. Um, let's see, Magic is technically actually an alternate universe Liana Rasputin, but the difference at this point is academic. She's also running with Cyclops' X-Men. Colossus, post-Phoenix 5, or Penis 5. He spent a while as a fugitive in the Cable and X-Force book. Now he's at the Jean Grey school. Cable is running X-Force and trying to find a cure for a currently comatose hope. Technically, he's actually a series of clones of himself. It's complicated. Cy Spurrier's writing it. Also a lot of fun. And speaking of, Hope is comatose. So yeah, uh, she's currently duplicating the powers of and living in disguise as this character named Meme or Mimi. Apparently, both pronunciations are correct, according to the character. And this is a title and situation that I would not recommend diving directly into. If you're going to pick up this book, maybe pick it up at the beginning of the Spurrier run. And that brings us to Wolverine. Oh, boy. Now, if you've been following news like any time in the last, you know, six or so months or use the Internet for any purposes other than pornography, maybe also for pornography, you know that Wolverine is gonna die, presumably by multiple miniseries. Is this a thing? 
Anyway, he's lost his healing factor. It's been burned out from a virus he picked up in something called the microverse. That's not actually important. What's important is that he doesn't have it and all his enemies know this and are coming for him. And that brings us to the wild speculation period of this panel. And again, we're pretending this is an official San Diego Comic-Con panel. So we are going to ask those of you who are raising your hands to tell us you're pissed off we didn't mention Psylocke in that list or, or Pixie or, you know, whomever your favorite X-Men is to please hold your questions and your um actuallys until the end of the panel. Also, we have a blog and you can comment on it and tell us why we're wrong. Which we're not. Okay, so yeah, what's going on uh, with X-Men going forward? What do we think? Well, so Wolverine is going to die. And Wolverine is going to die like all autumn. What I think is that Wolverine's death is going to be the catalyst for basically remerging the two X-Men factions. That we're, we're going to see Cyclops' X-Men and the soon-to-be-late Wolverine's X-Men finally come back together. I, I think I buy that because we've seen a lot of sort of gestures toward the two teams reconciling a bit as they have to unite to fight greater threats. We've seen even Cyclops and Wolverine, you know, saying, okay, well, maybe you aren't so bad. We've seen a lot of characters going back and forth between sides. And we're also currently seeing a storyline called The Last Will and Testament of Charles Xavier, which is forcibly reuniting the two teams because it's stuff going down at the Jean Grey School, but around Xavier's will, which doesn't take into account that Cyclops might have gotten Dark Phoenix possessed and killed him. And so he has to be present for the will reading and there's going to be hella drama. Now, what do you think that would do for the lineup of books? Because currently the X books are such that uh, each team book kind of has its own unique feel, its own unique cast. Where would we go with that? We basically just lost the two main leads or who had been the two main leads of Wolverine and the X-Men. Um, Quentin Quire has fucked off to go do whatever he is about to do. Again, he's kind of a wild card with uh, the Phoenix Corporation, a weird sort of future retro active organization that exists to set him up and or stop Kid Apocalypse oh, and or try to explain it. I don't even know what the hell's happening there. And that's been the focus of the last major arc of Wolverine and the X-Men, and he's really been the focal character for most of that series. So I'm expecting that book and all new X-Men to basically fold together. So you actually see one of them getting canceled for that reason? I see either of them getting canceled or within the next year, major, major shifts in lineups. Marvel, big publishers in general have been moving in the direction of saving a lot of big announcements for New York Comic Con. That's going to be going on in October, and it's going to be around the same time Wolverine dies. And I'm guessing we're going to see a lot more in terms of announcements and a lot more in terms of the actual title lineup of future X-Books at that point. I know we have yet another summer crossover about to happen called Axis, which is another big Avengers and X-Men team-up thing. They're fighting a villain who's a combination of the Red Skull and freaking Onslaught. Oh, God, they're bringing that back. They totally are. Yeah, the Red Skull grafted part of Xavier's brain to his, and that's about when I stopped reading reading Uncanny Avengers. <laughs> yeah, there's usually some kind of a reset after every big event. So, you know, seeing the lineup of uh, titles shuffle a little bit, especially with Wolverine out of the way, I could totally buy that. I think one of the tricks, one of the things that I'm interested to see how they're going to handle is the Jean Grey of the original five, because she's really interesting and she's really scary. She's one of those characters who's been built up very explicitly in Bendis' run as having pretty serious supervillain potential. Uh, she's one of the most powerful mutants in the Marvel Universe, Whatever went down in space during the, the trial of Jean Grey story arc, which is the Guardians of the Galaxy crossover, and actually fantastic. Sarah Pacelli mm-hmm. drew a bunch of it, and I would read the phone book if she illustrated it, so... An illustrated phone book? Would that just be a lot of tiny headshots, like sort of a yearbook kind of thing? It would be lovely, because it would have great dynamic fight scenes and just incredible, sprawling cosmic stuff, and then really, really good, poignant, you know, human facial expressions and moments, and oh my, Sarah Pacelli is so good. I, so I f- good. I feel like our high school yearbook was utter shit. It didn't have any fight scenes at all. Our high school yearbook all. was utter shit. It was a high school yearbook. 
yearbook and thus fundamentally utter shit. We could revolutionize the high school yearbook industry here. Fight scenes, dragons, time travel, clones, we'll make this happen. We even went to a school for the gift. This is sad. Clearly, Pineview was behind the curve set by the Xavier Institute. So we go back in time. We tell them of what a problem this is going to cause. We have a big fight scene as the school faculty and uh, student body split to attack us. God, I'm imagining bringing my 16-year-old self into the future, and I feel like this would result in a paradox and death because I really don't think I could stand being around her. I was a horrible teenager. Oh, I was, you awful. That I was bad. pretty awful. Okay, so other stuff that might happen in X-Men. So we, we have an increasing number of X-Books, uh, both team and solo. I mean, I think Marvel's realizing this is one of their cash cows, like Avengers is one, X-Men is the other. I want to go back to the death of Wolverine. How do you think he's going to die? They've been building it up this much, so I'm going to be disappointed if it's not super epic. I'm not talking necessarily like Chewbacca getting crushed by a moon epic, although if Wolverine got crushed by Chewbacca who was being crushed by a moon, that would be memorable at I least. I mean, Marvel Marvel is going to be doing Star Wars comics now. It's technically possible. Uh, so, well, let's see. Wolverine, um, we know his healing factor is gone. We know he's getting sort of worn down more and more by these constant assaults. So I can totally see it. A big portal opens up from an alternate dimension, as so often happens, and Rachel Eden comes through, totally frustrated with Wolverine's overexposure and just stabs him with a knife made of pure continuity before vanishing into the ether. Wait, so I'm going to kill Wolverine? I would be disappointed if it happened any other way. I'm going to have to think about this. Will we be able to continue to explain the X-Men if we're actually affecting in-universe events? Is this going to be some kind of like Beast-style paradox? I think our journalistic integrity is going to be shot to hell after this, but it will still be famous. We have journalistic integrity? This is like turning into the Twin Peaks New Mutants thing. Right, where you can't tell what universe is inside what other universe or like, it's just layers of How deep does this rabbit hole go? I wish I could do the Inception because this would totally be the place for it. Uh, No, I think you did a pretty good job. Excellent. I mean, obviously, we don't know what's really going to happen after the death of Wolverine. We don't really know where things are going to go. Yeah, and I want to actually touch on that really quickly because we get a lot of questions asking us what's going to happen or why did this writer make this choice? We don't have secret sources at Marvel. We have friends who write for Marvel, but they actually don't tell us these things because they're professionals. We really can't answer what's going to happen. We can't answer what Brian Bendis's intentions are. If you've been asking a lot of questions like that and we haven't heard them come up on the podcast, that's pretty much why we are kind of mercifully not telepaths. Um, We are not precognitive. We do not know. The secrets of the X-Universe that we know are primarily ones derived from very thorough research, not from any secret windows. Of course, that's all going to change once you kill Wolverine. So anyway, current X titles, what, what's going on and where should people jump in? Yeah, so we've gotten a number of questions about, hey, uh, where do I start? What's going on right now? And we've uh, we've done our best to elucidate sort of the backstory that's led up to the current place we are. So we're going to real quick do a rundown of the books that are out there right now. So we have a few team core books. Now, back in the day, this was Uncanny X-Men, and that was it. Um, <laughs> I remember those Halcyon days. Oh, yes, indeed. So these days we have basically five core X-Men books. We have All New, Uncanny, Wolverine and the Amazing, and then just X-Men, which is has no adjective. All New and Uncanny, they're written by Brian Bendis, and those are kind of the flagship books. So I would say if you want just the core of the story, read those two. Um, you kind of have to read both, though. They really cross over with each other all the goddamn time. Yeah, they are where the bulk of the continuity-heavy universe-shaking stuff goes down, although I expect that might change around the death of Wolverine, because the Again, there's Wolverine and the X-Men. Wolverine and the X-Men is strong right now. I don't think it's as strong as it was during the Jason Aaron run, but it's still a really good book. If you want to dive in, a story arc just ended, so this seems like a pretty good time. Yeah, and like Rachel said, that's the one that focuses on the Jean Grey school and the students there. And that's semi-monthly, so there's going to be a lot of it. If this is a budgeting issue, you might want to skip that title. Uh, We have Amazing X-Men that just started, and that started with them going into heaven and hell to rescue Nightcrawler, who was fighting his pirate father. And then 
they did a Spider-Man and his amazing friends riff. Kyle and Yost, who are a writing team I really enjoy. It's a little bit removed from main continuity, but if you're looking for a fun X-Men Adventures title... That's a good one to yeah, read. Yeah, that was just wacky. And then we have Adjectiveless X-Men, which is just finishing up its run with Brian Wood and is shortly going to be written by, I don't know his first name, Guggenheim? Someone Guggenheim. Man, I, I, you wrote this part of the outline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, this is an all-female X-Men team. And one of the cool things about that is that it's not like a big deal about why it's an all-female X-Men team. It's just, oh, there are a lot of awesome X-Men characters who happen to be women, and this is a team of them. And we're actually going to be jumping in in the next arc on this as well. But it's it's come pretty highly critically acclaimed so far. Yeah, and uh, now we also have a few fringe teams that are not, you know, core X-Men X-Men teams, but are still X-Books, technically. So we have Rick Remender's Uncanny Avengers. This was the guy that used to write Uncanny X-Force. This is a team, this is an Avengers Unity team that Havoc is leading. Uh, Rogue is in this, Scarlet Witch is in this, I think the Wasp, a bunch of other guys. I have thus far been underwhelmed with this book. I like a lot of Remender. I love the hell of his run on X-Force. Uncanny Avengers just seems to have been having some trouble catching its stride. Hopefully that's going to change, but right now... If you're cherry picking your titles, I'd probably put this one on the miss list. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we have all new X-Factor, which is Peter David writing a follow up to his X-Factor series. That was sort of a private investigator noir series. This is more of a corporate superhero team kind of thing. Peter David is a very good writer and X-Factor has been kind of his baby for a really long time. It's an interesting series. I'm looking forward to seeing where it's going. But again, it's one that hasn't quite caught its stride yet. It's a fun team. It's a fun lineup. It's got, man, it bugs me that I don't like this book more because it's got two of my very favorite underused characters on it, Cypher and Warlock, mm-hmm. but I just, I'm having trouble getting into this one. Um, and then we have X-Force, which is easily the weirdest X-Men comic being put out right well, now. Well, it's it's a Cy Spurrier book, and Spurrier is just coming off a run on X-Men Legacy. Legion is the main character of that, speaking of, of weird, and he is a writer who has quickly come to specialize in the deep weirds of the X-Universe. If you like that stuff, you'll like this book. If you don't like that stuff, you will hate this book. We like that stuff. We like this book. Mm -hmm. And then we have a few solo titles. Well, of course, we have Wolverine with two books. There's Wolverine and Savage Wolverine. Those, I believe, are both going to be ending since the character is dying. Really? It would be so funny if they just kept them going. (laughs) Just didn't acknowledge Wolverine I mean, well, Savage Savage Wolverine is flashback stories, so they could, in theory, just keep that running forever, even with with Wolverine dead. Like, right now, it's it's, it's a story that's set in World War I, and man, if there is anyone who should be writing old school Wolverine war comics homage stories. It is absolutely John Arcudi. The first issue of that arc is out and it is really solid. And then there's Greg Ruckus Cyclops series. Now we had like half an episode dedicated to that. That was back in episode, what, six? Was That's it episode seven? seven. Episode seven, we brought Greg Rucka into the studio and we talked about that series. I mean, we've been talking about it a lot. I totally made a costume from it yesterday. It's one of the best current Marvel titles coming out, even if you're not a huge Cyclops fan. It's got a lot of heart. I don't know. I really like it. Um, so we also Obviously. have <laughs> we also have a Magneto series that just started by Colin Bunn. It's really strange. It's almost a horror title. It's, it's not horror. No, it's not horror. It's noir. And it is really cool. To be fair, he does like mangle a lot of people to death. It's a good book. It's not tightly continuity tied. So if you're looking for something like that, that might be a good one. to Actually, really, that's, that's really true of all of these, except maybe for the Wolverine solo series. If you're someone who likes stories with sort of superhero universe main characters working very far outside of the superhero genre, you'll probably dig this one. We also have Nightcrawler, which just came out of Amazing X-Men. That's an ongoing. It's by Chris Claremont. Now, Chris Claremont has been really sporadic in his Marvel work in recent years. Like, he was the X-Men for 14 years solid before he left Marvel for a while. Since then, he's come back in fits and starts. And this is the first work we've seen him do in a number of years, I believe. It's fun. It's very much classic Claremont and feel, which makes it kind of a jarring fit within the current X lineup. It feels like a book that should have been coming out 20 years ago, which 
is either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you're looking for and what you like. It's fun. The art is great. It's a Nightcrawler book. It's got all of the things you're hoping for from a Nightcrawler book, which is to say circuses, swords, and makeouts. Uh, And then last, we have the just, just launched Storm ongoing series by Greg Pak. We recommend it unreservedly. It's one issue, and the first issue came out this week if you're looking for a title to jump onto. Um, We should also point out in terms of back issues that right now there's some kind of massive promotion going on with Marvel Unlimited where it's like 99 cents for a first month. So if you want to pay a buck and just binge read a bunch of old X books, unfortunately, we're at a point in continuity in the podcast where Marvel Unlimited basically cuts off for a while. So it won't be that helpful with upcoming issues. But if you wanted to catch up to where we were and you've you've got a lot of free time in August, that might be a good time to do that. Okay, so this being a panel, of course, we have audience questions. Um, All right. Yes, I see uh, you in the 50th Deadpool costume I've ever seen. Uh, what's your um, question? That is uh, uh, you on the Tumblr. Yes, it, over there. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is what would Gordon Bombay do, which that's a great name. Uh, asks, how come Jean Grey gets a free pass for wiping out an entire solar system under Dark Phoenix's influence, but Cyclops is essentially dead to the majority of his lifelong friends for murdering Professor X under the exact same influence? That is an excellent question. What did Gordon Bombay do? And it is one that I have been asking for a while as well, because that is total bullshit and it pisses me off. I assume that the reason for this, and this is this is me extrapolating pretty heavily, is that they're taking this a lot more personally because X was a friend and a mentor to a lot of them and practically raised some of them. And they didn't really know any of the planet full of broccoli people that Jean Grey wiped out. And it's something that's come up a few times, but not as much as I would like it to have in the comics. I'm hoping that that's something that they're going to address in more depth in the upcoming Last Will and Testament of Charles Xavier. And okay, our next question is from... Oh, hey, yo, we know you. Hi, Andrew Vestal from the Gaming Intelligence Agency. Yes, favorite old website. Favorite new website. It's back. It exists. You should read it. And Andrew Vessel asks, why is Jubilee a vampire? No, seriously, I heard she's a vampire now. Wait, wait, forget the whole vampire thing. Jubilee is a mom? Oh, boy. Okay, so uh, let's step through this as quickly as we can. So on M-Day, Jubilee was one of the many, many mutants who was depowered. After that, she disappeared for a while and then turned up uh, running a halfway house for other depowered mutants before joining a new incarnation of the team, the New Warriors, as a character named Wondra, who was using sort of tech gloves to have superpowers. I feel like Jubilee, Boom Boom, and Marrow should start a team of the, like, really flung around teen girl characters. Maybe a revolution. So, yeah, she joined up with uh, the X-Men on Utopia because she still identified as a mutant, even though she didn't have powers anymore, which actually is kind of an interesting statement, depending on which aspect of the metaphor you're looking at. Yeah, Jubilee has become a really interesting point of focus for discussions of identity politics and mutation, which is really cool, actually. It's not not a direction I ever expected the character to take, but it's one that's evolved fairly organically. After that, there was a storyline in the previous volume of Adjectiveless X-Men called Curse of the Mutants. It's amazing. I, I, I love this story for reasons. So uh, Curse of the Mutants was the X-Men fighting vampires, and I should point out this is not without precedent. I mean, Dracula is going to show up a couple episodes from now in the uh, coverage we're doing. What you need to know at this point is that it involves a panel in which Cyclops tells Dracula to follow his heart. I feel like that's really all you need to know about that story. (laughs) So anyway, um, in this storyline, a bunch of people, including Jubilee, are hit with a bioengineered virus by a vampire suicide bomber. We, we, we can't make this stuff up, guys. And then she was bitten by Zarus, the son of Dracula. So after this, she was a straight-up vampire, a non-mutant, or rather mutant but depowered, vampire. So X-23 helped her out, controlling her violent impulses after that, and then she joined sort of a support group called the Forgiven, which are recovering vampires who don't need blood and can move around in the day. So how are they vampires? You know, it's, it, it's it, you don't stop being a vampire. 
once, once you've this tasted blood. This is kind blood, of a theme with Jubilee. It kind of is. So yeah, that's where she's been for a while. And she, in continuity, she is still a vampire, in fact. But around this time, she uh, adopted a baby who was orphaned at a meteor strike in Hungary. I think she just sort of found him and then decided to keep him because he was rad. Yeah, and she named Which him is Sh- a very Jubilee move. It is. She named him Shogo. Uh, turned out he was infected by the Archaea virus, which is a mutant virus that is the sister of the Sublime virus. X-Men, guys. Essentially, why is Jubilee a vampire? Why is Jubilee a mom? Because continuity has hit her in the head with a bat repeatedly. To be fair, she's really rocking both of those things right now. And again, she's she's a main character in adjectiveless X-Men, and I assume with the beginnings of new arcs, we will continue to follow her adventures in that, so you could pick that up. All right, that's all the time we have for at this Totally a Panel, we promise. Thank you so much for joining us. Instead of standing in line for another 700 hours for Hall H for the Game of Thrones announcements, spoiler, they're all going to die. <laughs> Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men is recorded in Portland, Oregon and produced by Bobby Roberts, who's also the co-host of Welcome to That Whole Thing, which you can check out at welcometothatwholething.com. So check out our website at rachelandmiles.com. We have visual companions posts for each episode we do. We have fan art. We have all sorts of other bizarreness. Uh, which, starting in August, will include video reviews of current X-Books, written posts, and other content. And you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and as of July 31st, ComicsAlliance.com. If you're enjoying the show, please take a minute to check out our Patreon. You can find a link from RachelAndMiles.com and rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Next week, we'll be back in space for pirate hijinks, Shi'ar politics, and Summer's family drama. Then returning to Earth for the debut of one of the all-time iconic X-Men. See you there, sugar. Sugar.